Well, welcome back. Welcome back to our second sermon, not a current sermon, from the archives, from James' epistle, the letter that James wrote to the early church. Uh, this week's episode is a joy for me, it was a joy to listen to, as we hear for the first time in a long time uh, those dulcet tones of Matt Benz. So we're looking together in our church at James, in our Bible study groups, in our rooted groups, our community groups. And so we're looking back as well over these old sermons, sermon series where Matt Bounds and myself went back and forth, back and forth, as we were looking at the book of James. So I don't have much more to say. I just want to leave you with the very capable hands of Matt Bounds. Enjoy. If you'd like to turn to uh, the letter of James, and we'll carry on in our readings there. I'm reading from James 1, and picking up at verse 12. James 1, and verses 12 to 18. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a firstfruits, kind of firstfruits, of all he created. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you, um, by your Holy Spirit, inspired James to write these words. We pray that we would hear you speak through your written and spoken word this morning, Lord. And uh, as we were reminded last week about the need in our Christian lives for wisdom, for applying gospel truth to our lives, to our everyday lives, Lord, we, we ask that you will speak these gospel truths to our hearts and minds this morning. And Holy Spirit, you will help us to be people who apply these, tr- these truths to our Christian walk. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask these things. Amen. Uh, I've been in court a few times. I don't know if I should have mentioned this um, when I came on the pastoral team. Um, I have been in court a few times. It was when I was uh, studying law, it was work experience. I ended up in magistrate's court and crown court a few times. Just being a spectator in case anybody's worried. I found it a fascinating experience, though I don't think um, the people who were in the dock would have seen it the same way. It would have been a bit harder for them. Um, but when you say the word trial, that for for various reasons, that's the first thing that springs into my mind when you say that word, that English word trial. I think of a courtroom trial, whether it's in magistrates or crown court. Maybe if you're football-minded, you think of football trials. There's, there's a few halfway decent footballers in this room, I think. I don't know if any of you have ever had trials uh, to try out for any teams. Um, and these days, the, the, the other scenario in which the word trial springs up quite a bit is in product trials. You know, when 
you, you can apparently, someone was telling me this the other day, you can go online and register for these things. You can try out products, some fantastic products for free. Check it out later. I, I haven't got around to doing it yet. Um, but that's one of the other scenarios in which the word trial can come up. Um, now, those different scenarios in some ways can kind of help understand the theme that, that James focuses on in our passage here this morning. Um, because there is a sense to the word trial that, that James mentions here. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. There is a sense in which the trial he's talking about there is in the sort of used in the same way as those scenarios I outlined just now. Um, that there's, a, there's a, a sense of testing, isn't there? Whether it's in the courtroom or a product test or when someone's going through a football trial, they, the thing or the person, is being tested. They're looking for proof. They're looking for evidence that that thing is up to scratch and up to the standard required. That kind of helps in our definition of trial uh, in this passage in James this morning, but it doesn't quite go far enough, I don't think. Although the courtroom trial for the the defendant or the person who's been taken through court probably gets closer to it. Because I think the, the biblical idea of a trial also adds this really important dimension of uh, pain or doubt or grief even. Um, Peter uses the word in this way. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In the sense that James is talking about it this morning, there is this idea of going through hard times, and that is a testing process, and that there is a sense in which we're looking for evidence and proof, and we're going to come back to that. But the big idea here, I think, is simply that trials for believers, because, of course, James is writing to people who profess to follow Jesus, trials are just painful. Uh, They hurt. They involve, quite often, grief. If I had to try and define trial as James is using it here, I think I'd put it this way. You know you're going through a trial and it's not just a bit of a bad week. When you get to the point that you're thinking, uh, I don't think I can go on any longer. Or you get to the point that you're thinking, I I think I'm going to fail. You get to the point you start to wonder, will my faith stand up through this? Will I still be believing in and following Jesus when I get to the other side of this, if I do get to the other side of this? I think we need to grasp this before we go any further, that when James talks about trials, he isn't just talking about when we have a bad week or if next month I'm a bit overdrawn and that's, that's a pain. No, it's, he's talking about that scenario where we feel we're being tested, sifted. We wonder whether... whether at the end of it, there will be proof that we've got through trusting in Jesus, and we wonder whether we can possibly make it to the end. That's the sense in which he's using the word trial. And I know, of course, that there are people in this room this morning, in this building this morning, who have gone through recently or are going through trials. And some of the rest of us here in this room have looked on and watched as you've been going through or are going through those trials. To some degree, that the Bible's clear, we will all face them as believers. In fact, any human being on the face of the earth will face trials, but this speaks to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will all face them to some degree, but we see people right now in this congregation going through them. It might be financial trials, where not just this week or this month, but for a long time now, you've struggled so much financially that you feel the the pressure of that upon you, and the stress and the fear and the grief that that brings. Well, 
the, the people that James is writing to would identify you if that's you. Because um, it's clear as you read through James, you see in chapter 2, you see it in chapter 5, it was there in the introduction that Sammy mentioned to us last time, that James has to talk to them occasionally about their right attitude to poverty and to riches, because it seems what was happening for many of James's readers was that they were poor, and rich people, whether it's rich landlords or rich merchants, were bringing them into court and suing them, or simply putting up their rents and putting pressure on them financially. And this was one of the main trials that James's readers would have identified with, the trial of poverty in difficult circumstances. Many in our land today can identify with it, and I know people in this room can identify with that. They, that might be the trial you face right now. Maybe it's persecution. For us, it might be relatively low level, but it's a reality for Christians that when you stand for Jesus and you stick out like a sore thumb, you will get hammered. Maybe it's persecution. Maybe it's your health. That can certainly be a trial, can't it? When either for yourself or for someone you love, uh, their physical or maybe mental health is under pressure, that that you're suffering because um, your health is bad or you're worried about your health. And over a period of time, that can become a trial, can't it? You're not just, you're not just a little bit worried. This is, this is bearing down upon you and affecting the way you feel and the way you live. That's a trial. Maybe you've lost someone recently or you're fearful of losing someone imminently. That is certainly a trial. Or maybe it's some other category of thing in life that is just causing stress and pressure for you and maybe depression for you. There are all sorts of trials. Verse 2 Uh, chapter 1, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He's not limiting it to one sort of trial. He's saying there are all sorts of trials, but I know they're real for you and they hurt. Our question this morning, as James speaks to us in this passage, is what happens when Christians go through trials? What should happen when Christians go through trials? Because I don't know about you, probably you're the same as me. I've seen two extremes to this. People who say they love and follow Jesus and say they're Christians, when they go through trials, at the two extremes, what happens is either they come out the other side and however hard and painful it's been, you can see they just love Jesus more and he's even more precious to them than when they went into the trial. Or the other extreme, what you can see, and James is clearly aware of this danger, someone who said that they loved and believed in and followed Jesus, and they go through a particularly painful trial, and at the end of it, they don't seem to be following him anymore. They don't seem to be trusting him and loving him anymore. What's meant to happen when Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus, go through trials? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's an important topic to James. It's one of his his three big themes. I don't think Sammy quite put it this way, but he introduced the three themes to us last week. You can see them there in the early verses of chapter 1. He's got other themes too, but the three big ones are the big one, wisdom, hence the title of this series. We haven't got it projected up because it would be projected on my chest right now. Um, But it's wise up that James is saying to his, his hearers, you need to be wise. You need to apply gospel truth to your everyday life. That's his, one of his big themes. The other one seems to be this idea of poverty and riches that keeps cropping up in the letter. Christians need to have the right attitude to what it means to be poor or to be rich. And then the other one, the third one, is this, this topic of trials. And this is the one he gets stuck into. It's like he's had the first part of the chapter to say to them, Here's my three big ideas. 
There will be others, but here's the three big ones. I want to talk to you about them again, but particularly I want to talk to you again about trials. And that's what he focuses on now in this part that we've read, we've read this morning. He wants wisdom for them. He's still talking about wisdom indirectly. That very practical thing of applying gospel truth to their lives, but where he wants them to apply gospel truth to their lives at the moment where the rubber hits the road is in this issue of trials. And he's saying to them, in effect, they are a big deal. Trials are a big deal because they either bring the professing Christian closer to Jesus, ultimately, or they push that person who claims to follow Jesus further away from him. So wisdom is really needed. It's not just a head thing. It's how you live out these truths in your life and what happens as a result. So there are three trials-related things I want us to consider this morning as we look at this passage. The first one's going to be the crown at the end. The, the second one's going to be the desire within. And the third one's going to be the Father above. We get to finish with the Father above. But let's start, first of all, with the crown at the end. James wants us, he tells us, to know that we are blessed in trials. I mean, this is one of those verses in Scripture I, I read, and I want to say, seriously? James, <laughs> seriously? That and, that and verse 2 of chapter 1. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. He's off his rocker, isn't he? Pure joy. I don't believe he's off his rocker, but that, that's our initial reaction. He's, James, you're losing it. And then verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. He wants them to know that there is somehow joy and blessing in trials. I mean, we need to grasp straight away, don't we, that joy and blessing are different to happiness. Happiness is, happiness is good, and it's good for Christians to be happy, but we're just not happy all the time, are we? Some, some of you, that's true more than others, but you know, we're, we're, not, we're not happy all the time. We know that's the case because happiness is immediate. Happiness is how I feel here and now. And happiness is situational. Happiness is about what's going on in life now and how that makes me feel. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're not. Just depends what's going on in life. Blessing and joy are different, aren't they? Because they're deeper and they're longer term. Blessing and joy are experienced now. That's true. But they're not situational. They're not about the situation now. They're rooted in the future for Christians which is why only really Christians can know blessing and joy. And this blessing and joy that James is going on about here involves a crown. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. The crown of life. We think of a, a monarch's crown, the queen's crown, or a king's crown, but Almost certainly what James was thinking of here was the victor's laurel. At the end of an athletics contest, at the end of a race, they were given a crown made of laurels that was put on their heads. That's the idea here. Here, Paul speaks about this in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Do you remember those words in Revelation at the end of our New Testaments? Jesus says, be faithful even to death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is a theme that comes up again and again in the New Testament for believers. There's a crown of life at the end of this, at the end of this life, at the end of these trials. What is the crown of life? It's the crown of eternal life. 
It's, it's receiving the fullness and experiencing the fullness of the eternal life that we already have. Read John 3 and you'll, you'll see there that Christians already have eternal life. If you trust in Jesus, your eternal life has begun. But we haven't entered into the full experience of it yet. We will one day when we've gone through these trials and we receive the crown of life. When God, as it were, says to us, right now, you can enter into the full experience and the full enjoyment and the full quality of eternal life. Not just life that never ends, but life that's of infinite value and is infinitely enjoyable and infinitely wonderful. And James is saying to the believers then and to believers here this morning, especially those going through trials of all sorts, in some sense, you're persevering through trials now. You're persevering in continuing to love Jesus and follow Jesus, even in what you're going through. In some sense, that leads to the crown of eternal life. In some sense, what you're going through is leading to eternal life. Does that mean that if you suffer well as a Christian, if you go through trials well and you just cling on to Jesus as hard as you can, by doing that, you earn eternal life? No, of course not. Your eternal life was earned by Jesus and Jesus only by his life and death on the cross. And you receive eternal life simply by believing on him. So what is James on about? Well, you step back and take a a New Testament view of this, a broader view. And what he must mean is, what he does mean is that holding on to Jesus by faith now, even in that trial, is a blessing and a joy because it is proof of life. It proves you have eternal life. And it proves you will receive that crown of life one day when you see Jesus face to face. In context, it's clear that's what James means because you read there in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. We, we, you don't want to get the wrong idea from that word test. It's not that God is standing back and saying, right, I'm going to chuck this at them, see how they get on. Let's find out whether they really believe and whether they're really going to get the crown of life one day. That's, that's not the idea. As we'll see later on, God is with us in trials and his motives are only good for us. The idea there in the word test is the word that was used for testing coins. The idea is of, of someone who knows what they're talking about, picking up the coin and looking at it and testing it and, I don't know, maybe biting it and saying, is this genuine? Is this a real coin? Is it part of the currency of, of the realm? That's the idea of testing there in that word test, having stood the test. It's as if the trials that we go through as believers, when we go through them clinging on to Jesus, it's as if God is looking and saying, yes, look, I knew it was the case. Because they're clinging to me and they're still loving me. That one is genuine. That one genuinely believes in me. Because they're persevering. Persevering in faith and persevering in love. You find it interesting there? It says they will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those that love him. James could have said those that have faith in him. And the two are inseparable, of course, but he focuses on the fact that those who persevere in trials love God, love Jesus. How does holding on to Jesus in trials bring blessing and joy even in the pain? Because when you come out the other side, or as you're going through it, bruised and battered. 
when you do so and you keep loving Jesus, it is proof that you will receive that crown of life one day and enter into the full and wonderful and joyful experience of eternal life. It shows the crown of life will be ours. And that's where James wants to start, where we have to start as we face trials. Is It's trying to get our heads around this idea that it, even in those trials, we need to focus on the crown at the end. We need to remember this, that as we cry out to God in our trials and ask for mercy and ask him to deliver us from those trials, often he will. And often we will know the blessing of that in this life. But whatever the trials are, we focus on the crown at the end. But James, um, hence the title of our series, he tells him to wise up. James is pretty direct. He doesn't muck around, does he? And as we will find out again and again through this epistle, he he does bring encouragement, but he certainly brings warnings and he tells them straight as well. And here's the second point. He does bring a warning now because although he points them to the crown at the end, he also points them to the desire within. There's great blessing to be had for Christians, even in their trials, but there are dangers too if we don't apply gospel truth to our lives, if we don't act wisely. Because trials can also be occasions of great temptation. And in fact, strong temptation for a Christian can be the trial that we go through. Some of us in this room will struggle regularly um, and painfully with strong temptation. And that in itself is a trial. What are we to make of that and how do we deal with it? Because temptation can, of course, lead to bitterness. It can lead to doubting God. And when we're going through trials, we can be tempted to seek comfort, can't we, in, in worldly idols, in the things of this world, instead of seeking comfort in God himself. And in fact, some of the people that James was writing to were struggling so much in their trials that they were wondering if it was God who was tempting them. It might sound almost blasphemous, but they were being honest. They were wrestling with this. It was as if they were saying, God, are you, are you wanting me to fail? Do you want me to sin? There's so much pressure on me in this situation. It's as if you want me to fall, God. That's why James has to write, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire, the desire within, and they're enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full full grown, gives birth to death. They've got it wrong, and James tells them straight, so he gives them now a little theology of temptation. He says, I know these trials are hard, and yes, you are facing temptation, but let me explain it to you. Temptation does not come from God, because God cannot tempt. He says, God cannot be tempted, and therefore God cannot tempt. The logic seems to be something like this. God cannot be tempted because he is perfect, because he is God, and because being tempted implies that person can do something wrong. God can't. He's without sin. He's pure. He's holy. And if he's pure and holy, it follows that he will not tempt you to sin, because he would not desire sin in you. God cannot be tempted. Therefore, God does not tempt. The important point here is that James is saying God's motivation and goal when he does allow his loved ones to go through trials is never ever that they stop believing or that they fall or that they fail. His motivation, his desire is always that they will persevere, that they will gain maturity, that they will gain confidence in that coming crown. God does not tempt, James says. 
Temptation arises from within you. That's what he's saying there in verse 14. Now, um, I'm not sure. There might be someone here who's an expert on James and be able to tell me. I don't think James was a fisherman, though, of course, he would have rubbed shoulders with fishermen because so many of the disciples were fishermen. But he uses fishing language here. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Enticed there is the lure. It's the bait on the hook. And that's the picture he uses. That's what temptation is. It's, it's, um, it's when our own sinful natures dangle temptation and enticements in front of us. James isn't denying the fact here that the devil is sometimes involved when we're tempted, especially when it's particularly strong temptation. I think sometimes if that's the case, if it's unusual and sudden and very strong temptation, it might be there's particularly direct Um, spiritual influence there. He's not saying the devil's not involved, but he's saying, look, the main problem is you. The main problem is me. When I'm tempted, God's not to be blamed. It's the fact that I'm a sinner. And what I specialize in is sin. I'm bent out of shape and I'm warped a particular way. And even as a believer, there's still indwelling sin. Even though I'm a new creature, there's still indwelling sin. I still struggle with the temptation that comes as a result. Sin is always down to us, but God is merciful And he always helps us and gives us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Very clear, isn't it? God does not tempt. He wants us to resist temptation. He wants us to stand. That's always his motivation. I'm nearly finished with his little theology of temptation, but there's a few more things to say before the last point. He also makes the point here, James, doesn't he, that temptation that leads to sin, it's a, a cycle. He describes it as a, a life cycle. Verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. What he's really saying is, look, sin is dangerous. Ultimately, it leads to separation from God and it leads to death. But before you get to death, You've got the sin. And before you have the sin, you have desire conceived. So can you see that he's sort of showing there's a life cycle to temptation and sin? It doesn't just suddenly happen usually, does it? There's usually a process to it. And there's warning in that for us, and there's encouragement in that for us. The warning is there's no such thing as little temptations. We can say it doesn't matter, it's no big deal. Because sin has a life cycle. Sin and temptation are not to be trifled with. To say, yeah, it doesn't matter if I put myself in, that, in the way of that particularly strong temptation. It doesn't matter. It does matter because there's a cycle to this. There's a downward spiral to this. There are no little temptations. But what this also shows us, this verse, which is really important, is that temptation and desire in themselves are not sin. Desire has conceived and then it gives birth to sin. Desire and temptation aren't necessarily sinful. It's really important to grasp this. What example can I give? Well, temptation and sin not being the same. If someone walks past you in the street and you think that's that's an attractive person um, and you're tempted to look back and take the second look, that's the temptation. The sin is the second look, isn't it? God has made us to have certain passions and certain desires, and the desires in themselves aren't necessarily bad. It's when we're faced with them, what do we do with them? 
Desire for food, for example, isn't sin. Gluttony is sin. It's what we do with those desires. It's what we do with the temptation when it faces us. So there's a warning there because James says, look, when you're tempted, then is the time to deal with it. Because when you don't, it gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. And ultimately, if you don't fight these temptations in your trials, it will lead you away from God. There's danger here. But there is encouragement here for us too. Can you see where the encouragement is? Maybe you're wondering where the encouragement is. I find this encouraging. Uh, Doug Moo in his commentary uh, on James puts it this way. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. Read that again because it's good. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. If you are struggling with, with strong and violent temptation, yes, share with friends about it, pray about it, yes, but don't feel condemned by that. Because if you're struggling with temptation, it's good that you're struggling. It's good that you're fighting. Temptation in itself isn't sin. It's succumbing to that temptation that is sin. You know, sometimes we can think, can't we, it so discourages me that I'm battling temptation so much. On the contrary, in one sense, it should encourage us because we're battling it. It's if we're giving into it regularly that there's a problem. So that's James' quick little theology of temptation. But do you see the, the picture that James is painting? Each trial is an opportunity either for the blessing of growth in assurance that we become more assured, even in our trials, that there is a crown at the end for us. Or it's an opportunity for temptation to overwhelm us and for that temptation to lead to increasing sin which ultimately, when fully mature, can lead us away from God completely. This is why the issue of wisdom in trials is so important. Applying gospel truth to our Christian lives is so important. It's practical stuff. Because the trials you go through and the trials I go through will ultimately either draw us closer to Jesus or further away from him. I'm I'm not saying by this, by the way, I'm not saying for a moment, that this means a true believer can finally be lost. I don't believe that. But it does mean that the person who says they follow Jesus, who professes to follow him, should ask if they are persevering, whether there is evidence of a crown awaiting them, or whether instead the evidence is of a complete capitulation to the powerful desires and giving in to temptation and sin. How we live matters. There's one way I think you could paraphrase what James says. How we live matters. Because some of us have grown up in a context where we've been told, put your hand up at a meeting, or go forward, or sign something in a book. Say you follow Jesus, and job done. You're saved. You can chill now, you can relax. It doesn't matter too much how you live. That's not New Testament Christianity. I do believe New New Testament Christianity is if someone is truly trusted in Christ, they will not be lost. But we need to be examining ourselves and asking in trials, and when we're not in trials for that matter, are we persevering in faith and love for Jesus? Are we loving him more? That's proof that we're his and we have a crown to look forward to. Are we loving sin more and more? That seems to be proof. That's evidence pointing in the other direction. How we live matters. How we deal with temptation matters. So you can see that the sort of stark choice, really, James is giving us. When you go through trials, that trial will ultimately either draw you closer to Jesus and make you more in love with him, 
because you're clinging to him and he's your hope in that trial. Or it can push you away from God, push you away from Christ. What are we going to do with that? How do we work towards the crown? How can I have confidence that I will persevere? Maybe you're a believer here this morning and you're just so aware, not only of struggling with temptation, but of regularly falling into sin, that you're starting to think, well, how on earth can I have any hope? And how might I not just as well give up now? If the Christian life's that difficult and trials might push me away from Jesus and I feel as weak as I do, what do I do with this? How can I have confidence I'll carry on? What gospel truth can I apply when I'm facing these trials and in those trials facing temptation? And here's the last point. Uh, we've looked at the crown at the end. We've looked at the desire within. But James finishes with, and we've got to finish with this, haven't we? The Father above. He goes back to encouragement. He starts out pretty strong. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Though he does, I love the way that he, James, he puts his arm around your shoulder and gives you a kick at the same time. You know, he gives them a kick saying, don't be deceived, you idiots. But he says, my dear brothers and sisters. He wanted to encourage them as well. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he'd created. He says, look to the Father above. Lovely phrase, the Father of lights. In other words, God the Father who made the heavenly lights, who made the stars and the planets and the supernova and the nebula and the whole whole shooting match. The Father of lights who made them all is your Father. Look to him. He's the giver of good gifts. Everything good is from him. Anything genuinely good in your life is from the Father. And he ultimately only gives good things to his children. Because one of the great temptations we face in trials is to doubt God's goodness, isn't it? I've been there. Is God really good? Does he really love me? The answer every time and always, James says, is yes. Because he's the father of lights and he only gives, gives good gifts. And he's, he's the unchanging one. We sang, there is no shadow of turning with thee, which is just a paraphrase of this, really. The father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. It's an astronomical term. Um, as they looked at the heavens, that the stars were fixed in place and didn't shift. But a planet or a comet or something else, it would, it would shift. Its shadow and its light would shift. There was a shadow of turning with it. And speaking of the father of lights, James says, no, he doesn't turn. He doesn't shift. He never, ever, ever changes. So when we're going through our trials and wondering whether we'll make it through, we look to the unchanging one. We look back to the past goodness of God and we can say, he kept me there. I didn't feel like I was going to hang on, but I did hang on. He kept me. He hasn't changed. He will keep me through this trial. See, we we can't look within and think, how many times did I mess up in that last trial? How many times have I messed up and fallen again in this trial? The key issue is, as I look to the Father of heavenly lights who does not change, do I still trust him? Do I still love him? Even if that love and the trust feels so faint, Do I still? Well, there's the evidence that the Father of lights, who only gives good gifts, who never changes, is holding on to you. And do you want the ultimate example, James says? The ultimate proof of the goodness of God towards you? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. You want to talk about God's good gifts? He gave you rebirth. He gave you a new heart. When when I'm tempted in trials to doubt God's goodness, I'm wondering... Will he get me through as I'm seeking to persevere? I look to the fact 
that God made his son flesh for me. That he put his son and that Jesus willingly went to the cross for me. That he gave me a new heart and drew me to him and brought me to him in faith. And that when I believed, he justified me, he forgave me, and he adopted me into his family. He's done all those things for me, including regeneration, new birth that James is talking about there. He's done all those things for me. Do I really think, having done all those things for me, he's now going to let me go in these trials? You see what James is closing with? And this is why I wanted to close with it. It is so important, so vitally important, that we seek wisdom in the Christian life, that we wise up that we live out our faith. Because if we don't, and if we don't battle temptation, if we don't hold on to Christ, especially in trials, then the evidence doesn't look good that we're truly believing in him and following him. It is so, so important how we live and how we live matters and whether we succumb to temptation matters. To think anything else is to believe a lie. But here's here's the the rock-solid truth that underlies it all. If you have truly trusted and you are truly trusting Jesus, however weak that faith and that love might feel to you, ultimately it's down to God and he will keep you. Remember in Philippians we read that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I'm sure James would have said that. Yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Absolutely true. But we also read in Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I think James is exhorting us, as the Bible so often does, to balance in the Christian life. We cannot say how we live doesn't matter. We cannot say that giving in to temptation regularly doesn't matter. It really does. Because how we live glorifies God and brings us assurance of the crown of life. But we can, go to the, we can go too far to that extreme, can't we? And we can start thinking that we're earning our way to heaven or, or failing that, that, we, that we've, we've got our ticket to heaven through faith, but then we can mess it up if we don't live up to a certain standard. No, no, James says and Paul says and the Bible says. He is the father of lights who gave you new birth. And if you're worried, here's the test really, isn't it? If you trust Jesus... And you love him, but you're worried, will I make it through? That's a good sign that you're worried. And scripture says to you, he will keep you and he will get you through. If you're someone who claims to be a Christian and you couldn't care less. And you're loving sin more and more. And you seem to be loving Jesus less and less if you ever did. Listen to what James says. He doesn't say you've had it, you might as well give up now. No, what he says is in effect, as you read his letter, Wise up, repent, turn to Jesus in faith now, flee to him and know the assurance of a crown of life that lies ahead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you've given us letters like James that is very direct, um, that doesn't fool around, that speaks um, warnings and powerful truths to us. But thank you also, Lord, that you have not left us without encouragement. And you remind us this morning that you are the father of heavenly lights. That you've given us and only give us ultimately good gifts. And you've given us new birth. We want to rejoice in that this morning, Lord. And we ask for your strength and your grace 
to persevere in trusting you and loving you in trials. And we especially pray for those in this place this morning, Lord, who really are going through it and are wondering, can I hold on? Will I make it through, Lord? In a sense, we want to thank you that they're feeling that because it's such a good sign of spiritual life. And we pray for those who are going through trials right now that they will be able to cling to you in faith, to look to the crown that lies ahead, and to remember that you are the Father of heavenly lights who loves them dearly and will keep them to the end. Thank you, Lord, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.